Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here. Yes, I'm kind of like, I feel like I shouted at you. Sorry about that. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. But nonetheless, just wanted to get everybody's attention. We're ready to start this morning. Um, I want to mention one thing, and uh, we'll try to remember this later as well. But on the back table over here on the right, the blue folders, I printed up a few hard copies of the directory because some people were asking for it so if we forget to mention that again today i'll try to remember to let like uh shirley kid know and stuff but if we forget to mention that again maybe just kind of remember that and i can always print more if someone just lets me know if you need a hard copy that's not a problem okay all right so with that out of the way if you will please pray with me this morning dear heavenly father we Come to you this morning, we thank you and praise you for the wonderful day you've given us, Father, the time you've given us again to come and study your word together, Father. We ask that you would lead and guide us in this study and help us to learn what you would have us know, Father. Help us to draw closer to you and to our Lord and to become more like our Lord every day, Father. We thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us that allows us to have this relationship with you and come to you, Father, and learn from you. And we thank you for all the blessings you've given us, Father. We ask that you would heal and touch those of our number who have been ill and have lost loved ones and heal and comfort them, Father, and help them to return to us. And we ask that you would lead and guide us again, Father, and help us to do everything here this morning in a manner that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we had left off, we were just doing the introduction, and there is uh, the introduction here of the workbook, and there's the person who, who uh, made the workbook, uh, Mark Copeland. Uh, you know, this is going to be influenced somewhat by his take on Revelation, so, you know, we're going to, this is a good starting point, no matter what workbook we used, it would just, you know, we're just using that as a launching point to uh, study the Word. And so we were looking at their preferred method of interpretation, and they mainly, and I say mainly because it's not solid 100%, they mainly prefer the, the preterist view, um, which basically is a view that mainly everything has already occurred. Now that's mainly not 100%, but just, just mentioning that so you understand the, the view of the person who created the workbook and how we're going to move forward through this. Um, so let's see. Um, one thing to, to realize though is Revelation may have, and I think it does have for us today, layered meanings and, and layered examples and things for us. Uh, I don't want to read through all the uh, things about the futurist views and all the different viewpoints you can take here. We can discuss those as we go through. Um, let's see. However, you know, it's good to know that uh, Revelation, with that, that thought of a, a layered meaning, um, a lot of times I think of it as representing a cycle of persecution and deliverance for the church, um, that there is some things that uh, the church, the body of Christ faces in every age, and just showing how we can get through those things and how we have the victory in the end always. 
So, and of course, looking at some of this too, everything has not been completed. Jesus has not returned yet. So I, I don't I don't think we mentioned that last week. So that's something to be aware of as well. And then um, also, if you look at chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, um, Christians have not been removed from the earth. So there are certain things that the book seems to say that have not occurred or not happened. So um, if we look at the author of the book, that's John. And uh, this is the Apostle John. So that's I don't think that's anything new to anyone or anything that we would really have a dispute about. Uh, the date is uncertain of the book. The date, they seem to think it could range anywhere from the 64 to 96 AD. They have various different reasons for this. And again, I'm not looking at studying this as a historical document to, to, to learn history or that sort of thing. So uh, the purpose of the book is really stated in, in a way in the very first verse. If you look where it says, uh, to reveal things which must shortly come to pass. And we see that in a couple of places again in the book of Revelation, and we will see that again. Also, um, let's see, am I, did I miss my purpose? There's so much introduction here, and, um, okay, here we go. So there are a couple of paragraphs here that I think are of particular interest to us, though. Um, these paragraphs here, in particular, it is a revelation from Christ himself of the judgment to come upon those who were persecuting his people. This judgment was directed especially toward those who had been deceived by Satan to attack the church of Christ. Now, here it says the church of Christ, and that would make you think like the church of Christ, us. But this is really the church, Christ's body, that church, not not just a congregation or a group created by men, but Jesus, his actual church, his body of people. So anyway, uh, that's the way I read that and look at that because that's the real church. The real church is Jesus' church. Uh, again, I would suggest that the purpose of the book is to reveal how Christ was going to bring judgment. Now here, this is a bit of the historical viewpoint and, and the way he looks at this. Judgment on Jerusalem and Rome for rejecting God and persecuting his people. And you can easily say that that's true because both of those were, both of those were basically fallen and done away with for a good period of time. Rome has not resurfaced and Jerusalem or Israel is kind of back, but not as the same as it was in the Old Testament saying if you understand what I mean, because the, the state of Israel exists, right? But it's not the same as it was back in the biblical days, before Rome. Or I don't know, how far back do we have to go before we say, Israel always had troubles anyway, so maybe that's, maybe that's not the best analogy to think of. But uh, nonetheless, um, it's not the same as it was. Um, let's see. So this judgment occurred with the destruction of Jerusalem in the fall of 70 AD and with the final cessation of persecution by Rome in 313 AD when Constantine became an emperor supportive of Christianity. Now, just a note, my understanding is 
Constantine was kind of a Christian, but he was also a political guy. So there were political advantages. <laughs> but God will use any anything, anybody to further his cause. So take that as it is. I mean, he he uh, what I think he did claim to be a Christian, but at the same time, he was of a political nature. He was the emperor and it supported it was good for him politically. So so there is that. In fulfilling this purpose, the book is designed to warn and comfort. And I think that's a big deal here. The book of Revelation is very much a warning in ways, but it's also very much a comfort in other ways. All you have to do is skip to the end, and you're going to see that Christ wins, we're with the Lord, and that's all very comforting. That's very good. But there's a lot of warning, too, for those who reject God and persecute the church and do not believe, you know, who refuse to believe. A big part of it is people who refuse to believe. So let's see, the key verse that he lists here, oh yeah, is Revelation 17, 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And it's, it's important that we remember that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is victorious. Let's see. So I skipped one thing, and I don't, I don't remember if he had this here. The recipients of this were to be, and it's mentioned a couple of times in the verses, the seven churches in Asia or maybe Turkey, Asia Minor, however you would refer to that. Nowadays, I think it's more it's Turkey. But uh, the seven churches there, and they're listed out. I'll mention them. We're going we're gonna to mention those seven churches again. But, uh, well, I have that list here. I really do. Huh? Well, there we go. There's the, there's the churches. The church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, or I don't, I'm not sure about the pronunciation of that one. Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea is what I would say that may be incorrect too. So, pronunciation aside, those are the seven churches. So, and you'll notice in the outline here, there's the introduction, and this includes the letters to the churches. And then, I'm going to move that off of the screen so I quit banging it. And then there's the visions of judgment against Jerusalem. This is how he breaks out the book, okay? So, you have to understand this is. The workbook, this is that person's viewpoint as far as uh, looking at these judgments against Jerusalem in these chapters. And that goes down through the trumpets. I've heard all kinds of crazy things about all this stuff. So I'm just we're just going to kind of go with this as far as this is the outline. Visions of judgment against Rome in uh, chapters you'll see 12 through 19 there. And... You have the fall of Babylon there, the defeat of the beast, and then you have visions of the future and beyond, because some things definitely we know have not occurred, right? So these are visions of the future and beyond in the last couple of chapters, and that's where I say, you know, you can always jump to the end and remind yourself that Jesus is victorious and we're going to be with him. All right.
So I'm assuming or hoping that you've looked through some of the introductory material. Uh, if not, then we'll just kind of go through these as best we can. The questions of the introduction here, you know, what what is this book called? Revelation. It's a revelation, and specifically the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's a revealing of knowledge from him. Yes, Matt. I know um, a lot of times people call it revelations. Yes, we do. And it's, uh, it's not what it says in the first line of the book. But I, I looked into that in uh, the King James Version, like the actual original printing of the King James the table of contents. They called it revelations. So uh, it probably influenced a lot of us to. That's funny. That okay, so in the, it sounds like in the original printing of the King James Version, they actually said revelations, and that's where that comes from. I had always assumed. Okay, I'm from the South. It's not Walmart, it's Walmarts. It's not Aldi, it's Aldi's, right? So I had always assumed we just called it Revelations because that's how we did everything. But that may not be the case. It sounds like there's an actual reason for it that is not just uh, us being silly. So that's good. All right, but the book is Revelation is the way my Bible reads, and uh, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So... Addie also answered question two for us. What is the meaning of the Greek word, which is, I'm not going to say, was translated revelation, and that was an uncovering or a revealing or unveiling. And then number three, what's the style of literature that the book is said to be written in, or it is written in, I mean, basically. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic, right? Apocalyptic. So it's apocalyptic literature. My only problem with calling the Bible literature is that then you're almost making it sound, in my mind, almost like a work of fiction, which it's not. But that aside, that's just me. That's just the way, you know, I, I look at it. Um, it might be better to use the word genre. Because, like, there's poetry genre. Right, you could say genre or, or just types of writings found in the Bible, and this is one type of writing found in the Bible or one genre. Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. And, and I wasn't saying there's anything wrong with calling it that. It's just, in my mind, it, it doesn't sound as good, but that's just me. Um, so, what are some typical features of such? They're going to use the word literature, so we'll go with it. Literature. Well, yeah, man. Visions of angels revealing things, and there's lots of symbolism, and a lot of times, like, symbols of doom and, and triumph and all sorts of things like that. Right. It's highly symbolic. There's a lot of symbols and symbology of different things, of conflicts, of good and evil, of angels, of future things, uh, a lot of good and evil style of representation. So... Question number five here, they say, what is important to know to properly interpret the book? Yes, Pat. It's good to know the Old Testament. Okay, it's good to know the Old Testament. Okay. And I'm just going by what they were saying here. I, I agree that it's good to know the Old Testament. I think it's good to know, you know, what Jesus said back in Matthew and all of that. But... They were particularly interested in the historical context in which it was written. 
And I think that can be helpful. However, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the only way to look at it. If we just look at it from the historical past, you know, but still that is a viewpoint and that is not, not a bad viewpoint if you know what's going on in their world at that time. Yes. Well, I think the danger is if we think that it was primarily written to us, like, like me, just me, <laughs> and, yeah. and we like it's so focused on our context that we miss, like, well, what, what did the original folks, how did they take it so that we can understand that? Right. It's important that we understand the historical part of it. Like I said, what, what was going on with their world at that time in their society and the persecution they were facing. There's definitely a, an historical aspect to it that we do need to understand. Um, it's just you can go too far, I think, either way where you're looking at purely historically or like you're saying, totally focused on me myself, which is probably not the best either. So, um, all right. So six, what are the four major views of interpreting the book? You can see those in the, in, in the introduction. Um, and ba basically it's preterist, historicist, futurist, and idealist. And then if we look at seven, what view is suggested in this introduction? And they're looking at primarily the preterist, you know, but they do borrow a little bit from some of the other views as well. And if we look at eight, who is the author of this book? We talked about that. That's the Apostle John, right? So um, he had, uh, let's see who had borne witness to the word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a portion of the verses here where John is basically establishing himself as who he is as a witness, someone to be trusted. So um, what dates are usually suggested for the book? Again, we, we kind of mentioned that it could be, it ranges from an earlier date to a later date, uh, spanning about 30 some years. Um, then, uh, let's see, what is the purpose of the book? Number 11, to, re well, let's see, did I? We kind of skipped 10, what date is suggested in this, okay. Well, they were going by some books that they, they were referring to other authors, what date is suggested in this study, and they're saying, basically, they think maybe the spring of 70 AD, not, Again, uh, a lot of this is, that type of thing is kind of theoretical, and I, I don't worry about that too much for our purposes. So what is the purpose of the book, question 11? We kind of already hit on that, right? It's to reveal things. Now, specifically it says, and it's something, this is another reason for, you know, understanding the history of what was going on, to reveal things which shortly must come to pass. Or you could say, uh, some translations may say quickly, but either way, it's something with an urgency there to come to pass. And there's other mentions of it being near or at hand, so we can't deny those. Uh, that's, that's the way it reads. So if we look at question 12, now this is the, the author of the workbook, who do I propose to be the two major enemies used by Satan? And if you think about it from this day and time, this makes pretty good sense, or very good sense. Yes? Well, with the generous view of 
Jerusalem and Rome, although right. I might wonder if it's just Rome, but either way, it's the same idea. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the two major enemies that, that they're thinking of, and, and I can kind of, I can understand this, and from that viewpoint of looking back at what these people were going through, Jerusalem and Rome are the two enemies that are being used by Satan against the church of Christ, against Jesus' church, and against the apostles trying to establish these congregations. And the reason, as you might imagine, well, okay, what do you think this, these two different things represent, Jerusalem and Rome? Because they kind of represent, to me, two different things. Huh? Well, no, that wasn't what I was thinking of, but I, I can see your point. Yes, ma'am? Jerusalem would be like the, the, the Jewish people and the conflict they had. That you know, We're the people of God, and you're saying that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not. And that whole conflict, you know, the, the book calls him the synagogue of Satan at a certain point. You know, but that's, that's that part. And then Rome would be more like just the world power that was at some certain points persecuting Christians. Against right. That's, that's what I was thinking. Jerusalem kind of represents the... The religious establishment, now not God's religious establishment, but think about what they're doing. It's man's religious establishment and how they follow their traditions and basically their teachings not following really the Lord, right? So Jerusalem kind of represents that. They're deceived by Satan. They don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so they are very much against the church. And then Rome represents basically the world, society at large, maybe a governmental power that would be against Christians, which there have been different ones throughout time. If you remember, Russia used to be very anti-Christian. They have really lightened up in the past, what, 30, 40 years. But uh, there was a time when we had to smuggle Bibles in and out, and it was a crime to basically be a Christian in Russia. Uh, China, I think, is still that way, aren't they? But... I don't follow China very closely, but still. So there are governments and societies and things that way. So just something to be aware of there. If we look at uh, question 13, what is the key verse that summarizes the book? We may have mentioned this verse. Let me look here. Yes, Revelation 17, 14, right. That's, we did mention that a little while ago. This will sorry, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So that essentially is what the author of the word book is saying, summarizes the book, and, and that's a good summary as far as there are those who will make war with with the Lord, and they will lose. Yes, ma'am. Summarize that verse. Jesus wins. Yes. Be on his side and win with him. That's, that's right. That's, that's true. Be on his side and win with him. Be, join the winning side. Since you know who's going to win, join that side. That is actually a very good point. That's a good idea. So... Um, 14 then, from the outline above, what are the three main divisions of the book? We kind of went through that. Uh, visions of judgment against Jerusalem, visions of judgment against Rome, and visions of the future and beyond. 
Does anybody have anything on this? Since this is all still introductory before we get into chapter one, does anybody have anything on this? Yes. Thinking back to that question about the literature or the genre or whatever, um, it's, it's apocalyptic, but it's probably also good to say it's prophecy, which is maybe a, apocalyptic is a subset of a, a prophecy. It's a type of prophecy. But it's also structured in a letter, right? It's, a, it's epistolary. It's, it's like how Paul wrote letters. There's elements of it being a letter. So like, like we said, it's to these churches. Right. It's kind of like you can almost map it on the three things there. Right. So, yeah, that's a good that's a good point, too, that while it is a particular genre or form of literature, it is, all, <clears throat> pardon me, it is also a letter that John wrote for these churches or to these churches, and it's also prophecy. So it is all of those things at the same time. So that's something to realize too is that it is prophecy from Jesus being revealed to John. Does anybody have anything else before we move on? All right. So chapter one, I'm going to break us down to the, the first question down here which is what are the main points of the chapter, right? The main points of the chapter are an introduction in the first eight verses, and then verses 9 through 20, uh, that is the vision of the Son of Man, is how he named that or phrased that here. If you look back, I think he mentions that back here. But anyway, so that's the main points of the chapter. So let's read the first eight verses of this chapter and then we can look at the questions for that. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So that's the first eight verses. If we look at question two, what was Jesus intending to show his servants? So... If we look at verse 1 there, it says, 
things which must shortly take place, right? This is the revelation of Jesus who wants his servants to understand things that are shortly to take place. Yes? It's interesting, too, in the translation you read, it said he, he sent and signified it by his angel. Right. Um, well, I've got this communicated, but that signified it. He's using signs, right? He's using symbols. Right, he signified it by his angel. Okay, right. Signals to us that this is going to be symbolic language, which is true. Okay, so okay, so so signified by his angel. Okay, you're saying that means, okay, that means it's going to be symbolized. Okay, the apocalyptic language we talked about. Okay, I was, I was thinking of that as being kind of a stamp of a authority and certification. But okay, that's that I can see that. The angels definitely because it's an angel, authority, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yes, that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that. The the king has a signet ring and that type of thing. Yes. Think about the food that you buy and it's verified or medication is verified and it's got the FDA stamp of approval or good housekeeping or a better business bureau or something. It's verified by something else that has oh. some... It's verified by something like, like the food we buy. It's verified by something uh, that has authority, right? By a, by a greater authority. So that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's what I guess that's how I was thinking of it too. It's verified by this authority. So, um, the same word for shortly or quickly, it can mean quickly, shortly or quickly. It's also used in chapter 22, verse 6, if we look back there, uh, and I'm just going to read part of this. Uh, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Again, the same word being used there and meaning the same thing. It's shortly or quickly. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, there's also another occurrence of something similar, but that's in a question further down. Now, if we look at question three, how is John described in verse two? Witness, right? Yes. So he's described as one who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus, and to all the things that he saw, right? So why would John, you know, why would John say this? Remember, John is writing the letter. So it's like he didn't make it up; he was there. Right, right. That's exactly right. To remind them and us that this is him. He is a he's, he's giving us credible testimony from a proven witness, someone who was there and saw and knew. You and know. He witnessed his death and his resurrection. Right, he did witness his death and his res resurrection both. So he is an, a very credible witness to what he's saying. Yes. He's definitely trustworthy, uh, reliable person. And the Lord chose him, took him up in this vision for this. And it's kind of an authenticating. Right, it is kind of an authenticating. He's, he's proving that he's a credible witness and that, yeah, that he is uh, authentic. Authentic and certified, he is one of the apostles.
Yes, Eddie. Just a side note, uh, one of the things that he really witnessed that's really amazing to me is how he witnessed the Lord from me back to God. Right. They did see. Right. They did see the Lord ascend back into heaven, too. That's right. We're going to see him come back. Right. Everybody, everybody's going to see him when he comes back. There will be. Yeah. Yeah. There will be no mistaking when he comes back. So, yeah. All right. So then if we look at question four. Who is this book designed to bless? The words who, yeah, the ones who read and hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things, right? So in other words, it was meant to bless them. It's also meant to bless us. And then why? The question why? Yes. It comes back to that summary of the book. Jesus wins, so be on his side. So hear the words, obey them, you'll be victorious with Christ. Yeah, you'll be victorious with Christ if you pay attention to this and believe this and, and join the winning side, like you were saying, yeah. And the why part of the why is for the time is near. They were telling them the time is near. And since, you know, we're to look at Christ's return like we should always be ready because he's going to be like a thief in the night. We don't know when he's coming back. So we have to always treat it like it could be the next minute. It could be like like right now. We don't know. It could happen any time. Yes? There are several times throughout the book of Revelation where Jesus speaks about the one who will become. And uh, I think that speaks to this. If you it, you hear it. That victory comes, we overcome and have victory with him. Right, we have victory with him, we overcome with the Lord. Um, let's see. Uh, through the word of our testimony, right? Through our belief in, in Jesus. That's how we overcome with him. Right. Um, also, for verse 3, which question 4 is mainly uh, about verse 3 there, this is that other place where the word for, you know, at hand or near, um, it's the same that you'll also find in chapter 22, verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. The time is near. So, just wanted to point that out. There's some things here that, that go together, even though they're at opposite ends of the book. Um, let's see. So, well, I didn't know it was so late. So, okay, we'll have to stop. No, go ahead, Matt. Just a quick thing. Back to the cultural situation for that. The blessed is he who reads and those who hear it. The implication is, like, blessed is the one who's up front reading this and you all are hearing it. Like, we're all so used to having our own books oh. and all that, but the, the different cultural situation where someone would be presenting that and reading it. That's true. In their culture, especially in the Jewish culture, isn't that what they did when they went to the synagogue? One person would stand and read the scripture and so, yeah, so there, there is that, too. There only would have been the one copy when it was first sent. To yeah. Them, would have read it. yeah, there would have only been one copy. So, yeah, they went. Then I think they kept most of those at the synagogue, right? So they would go and they would read the scripture there. And so it would be a blessing to the person reading that and to those hearing it. 
And we're going to stop there. We'll come back and we'll pick up with question five next week. Okay. Thank you for your time and your attention.